I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, the bank built and supported by industry super funds. Ever wondered about getting a better deal on your home loan? Well, it might be time to get in touch with MeBank. Whatever your investment strategy you'll find a loan that's right for you with competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So stop wondering and start saving. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the show. always had an interest just to walk through these properties dreaming of what could have been to a degree and, and just being interested in how properties were built and how to design them etc this is property investry where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories mindset and strategies i'm tyron shum and in this episode we're speaking with director property investor strategist and developer Paul Glossop, who will take us through his winding journey to tell us what he's learned about property, the tricks he's learned, and the amazing outcomes he's achieved. As a property strategist, investor, developer, and company director, much of Paul Glossop's life revolves around the world of property. I'm the director of Pure Property Investment. I'm our lead property strategist. Um, I'm also a, uh, an active property investor and uh, I'm a property strategist and developer in the background as far as what I do in general. With so many qualifications up his sleeve, Gollop shares that much of his daily schedule consists of numerous interactions that involve him assisting clients with their property decisions. We work, or well, me personally, so we probably work with anywhere between probably three and five investors on any given day on different strategies, both everywhere from initial consultations to understanding where clients sit, what the strategy is, and then on top of that, we're doing uh, research all day, every day into different markets, into different data, into different properties that we may or may not be looking at securing for certain clients. And as part of that, we're probably yelling at a fair few agents, um, trying to secure properties for for our clients, um, on top of trying to negotiate things such as building and pest inspections and getting property management over the line for our clients through settlements, um, and even all the way through down to, to looking at education content that we're going to be producing for our clients, for our database, and and for our social media campaigns out there ongoing, just so people are a bit more aware of what we do and how we do it. That's um, probably in a nutshell, every day consists of some elements of all of that. Growing up in Western Sydney's Liverpool, Glossop lived a modest life that allowed him to realise the value of finance, education and happiness. I'm a product of, of Sydney, um, Western Sydney in particular. So I was born and bred in, in Liverpool um, in the southwestern suburbs of, of, of Sydney. For those who are outside of Sydney, it's um, what I would then to be back in the early 80s when I was born and giving away my age there. Um, was uh, was probably a market which was dominated by 
public combination of Housing Commission and first-home buyers who were basically looking at affordable belts in Sydney these days, um, probably Liverpool and those areas, is um, completely and utterly built out and completely replaced from when I grew up and you've got places still for huge-scale development such as Badgerys Creek now, yeah, only minutes away, you've got dozens of universities and hospitals all within 20, 30, 40 minutes and the most densely populated market within Australia now sits where I grew up, which wasn't the case 30 years ago, 35 years ago, 40 years ago. My mum and dad bought the home for $33,000 when they first paid for it in 1981. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was an area which I think taught me a lot. It was very multicultural and um, I, I learned a lot about just, uh, I guess, making sure that um, I wasn't someone who was brought up with a hell of a lot. My parents split when I was at, uh, 11 years old and um, my mum was a single working mother for the best part of, of my whole upbringing, which uh, meant that you learned a lot about the value of the dollar and also the fact that I think most importantly that I lived a pretty good life. I felt like I could go without anything growing up and testament to my mum. Um, there was a lot of, of emphasis put on make sure you're happy with everything you've got and, and education and sport were always the cornerstones of what I did growing up and, and I think that's fed through to my life and how I look at it with my kids these days as well as I'm not in the, the property market to, to make millions to be able to show everyone or anyone where the wealth and money is basically held, but more so to, to make sure that I have choices and, and probably more opportunity as far as time in my life towards the back end to be able to just make the choice of when and what I do for a monetary perspective. With an unclear career path way ahead of him, Glossop shares that much of his education was not only a formal process, but a personal one, which involved travel and deep reflection. Grew up um, in went to Casula High School, um, Casula Public School, Casula High School. So I was a product of the genuine public school uh, fraternity out there. I spent a couple of years at Westfield Sports High, which is close towards Fairfield, um, when I was a bit more involved in sports, and then, then migrated over to Casula, which was closer to where home was. Um, I graduated from high school uh, back in the late nineties. I spent after that, I spent a year over in the US um, traveling, um, did a study and, and playing a bit of sport and, and basically just trying to figure out what I want to do with life for a good part of, of a year there. And I came back to, um, to Sydney after that, after living abroad for a year, um, wanting to try and figure out what I did. I studied architecture for for a couple of years, um, for the best part of two and a half years actually, and, and got my diploma in architectural technology and, and had a passion for property for a, a good part of, of that time. And at that stage, I wasn't really thinking too much about how that would filter through to more or less uh, profiting through investing as opposed to looking at it as a career to, to look at working in that building and architecture industry. However, reminiscing on the unfortunate event that helped him discontinue his studies in architecture, Glossop shares how he ended up in the teaching industry. It was actually quite a funny story for me when uh, the reason why I didn't actually become an architect, I think, in, in truth, was probably two reasons. One of which is I don't think I had the mental capacity to dedicate six years of my life to after I did three years. It, it was probably a point in time um, which I realised there was a lot more into it that I wasn't that interested in as opposed to the creative side, which was my big interest. Um, but I had a, uh, a big major works, um, which I designed as part of our program. There was a, a five-story office block, which we had to design, spent a year going through the ins and outs of a full design, um, which would be otherwise a normal way to, to submit to council um, as, a, as a practical experience. And back in that day, it was done on a very archaic CAD program, um, but there was no cloud storage or USB devices back then, which I spent the works on. And 
I had a, a laptop which I produced it all, and uh, that laptop was in a laptop bag. And the day that we had submissions to our our professors, I was at um, the local Broadway pub in just off George Street in the city of Sydney, um, just about to submit at UTS. And uh, my bag was underneath me at a at a pub, um, and that got flogged straight out from underneath my feet, unbeknownst, before I submitted. So the day I literally went to submit a year's worth of work was the day that, uh, yeah, it was um, the point where it uh, no longer existed and therefore I couldn't submit my project. And that was the day that I chose to not not pursue architecture again because at that point in time, um, I had a good long chat with my professor and they said, look, this is extremely unfortunate, I get it, but we literally cannot mark something that doesn't exist nor give you a pass or a credit or a partial credit for something that hasn't been presented to there was a lot that was on the table there to say, well, at this stage, I'd already got my diploma, which was sort of the path of, of what to do. And then the next step was to then go into a separate part of that course, um, which I chose to say, well, it's just not going to happen. And then I took another year off and, and effectively uh, worked part-time, surfed a lot of the East Coast of Australia and tried to find myself for a bit more and then realized that at that stage, it wasn't what I wanted to pursue. And spent when I finished that year of additional soul-searching, I spent another three and a half years becoming a teacher. It was after obtaining his teaching degree that Glossop decided to continue with his travels before finally realizing it was time to settle. Yeah, so I went and re-studied and trained and got a Bachelor of Health Education and became a science and physical education teacher. And that's, um, that, that's what I ended up getting my degree in. And then I traveled again. Uh, so I spent another two years in the UK working, traveling, um, and, and teaching at that time before I uh, realized that uh, it was time to, to lay down some roots and, and come back to Sydney and, and start my professional career as well as start my investing career. It was during his travels, however, that Gloucester learned important life lessons on happiness and how to attain it and why we should be grateful for the lives we have. Unequivocally, I think one thing I've learned, and I knew it before I left, but one thing that was always important to me is, um, I think, which one thing that's pretty obvious all the time is that happiness isn't necessarily having a ton of money and, and being able to do what you want when you want. I mean, partly it is, but the other part is, is making sure that you understand what makes people truly happy in life. And part of that is, is that it's being able to travel and being able to be exposed to different cultures and realizing that there's a lot of people out there who are in far worse positions but have far bigger smiles on their faces permanently um, makes you realize and try to make you understand truly what's, um, what it's all for and what it's all very much aligned to. And I think my travel and my past of, of traveling and being involved in different cultures and sort of doing it at different stages in my life, both from a professional and also from a, a non-professional career has allowed me to probably just center myself a little bit better at, at the harder times. But the truth be told, I mean, one thing I think we try to remind ourselves in our office all the time is we're in quite literally the best best and most uh, probably productive and proficient time of, of you know, human beings' life cycle and it's, there's never been a better time to be a human alive, especially in Sydney or in Australia. So I think being being appreciative of what we've got is something I've very much got a, a grounding on and that travel's definitely helped that. Thinking back to his home life prior to travelling, Glossop states that his property career stemmed from his own general interest for property rather than from the influence of his parents. The architecture and property space was never actually something that flowed through our, our, my family full stop, whether it be my mum and my dad. My mum a, a, was, a, uh, was a nurse and then retrained in her 50s to be a postnatal depression psychologist and my dad was a small business owner from a, a pretty young age and worked in a lot of different things and ran and probably 
unsuccessfully a lot of the time, ran small little businesses. Um, and yeah, no part of it was ever property. It was probably more interest to my own personally. For whatever reason, I just enjoyed residential houses and how they were constructed and the design of them. And even when I was in my mid-teens, I was um, someone who was very guilty of actually uh, probably going to uh, a lot of the, the older school big show home areas where they built, you know, 15, 20 houses up and trying to sell them to, to people as far as project homes and always had an interest just to walk through these properties dreaming of what could have been to a degree and, and just being interested in how properties were built and how to design them, et cetera. And that was really where my, my interest was um, in some way, shape or form, which I didn't really realise what it was or where it was going to go. And I was always probably far more interested in surfing and sport than I was anything else, truth be told. He adds that it was due to all his experiences that he ultimately learned how to build a career and business from his knowledge. Connect the dots of, oh, okay, I understand property, but also I understand potentially how to make money in property and then sometimes they're not mutually inclusive or exclusive and you've got to try and figure out how to connect the dots to, to try to probably align all of your interests as well as what can actually be profitable. It is with this knowledge that Glossop shares why he does not restrict himself or his business to buying and selling property in specific locations. We definitely, we definitely don't specify a location that we only focus in and probably over the last four or five years, we've probably bought no short of, I think, five states and within those five states, probably five to six dozen different suburbs in those states, depending on the property type, the price point, the strategy, etc. So yeah, we're definitely using, coining the phrase borderless as far as what we look at and Australia is definitely our market, um, but where in particular um, is any given point in time, what we're focusing on might be a certain suburb or a certain state, a certain city. With so many property options to choose from, Glossett explains that much of the process around determining which agents to work with involves making sure they have certain values. When we first started out, and when I was a one-man band organisation, which you know most businesses start out with one person running a business, um, it was it was me on the phones and in person, flying around the country all day every day, which effectively led to, to, to trying to figure out who were the markets or who were the clients and agents in those markets to work with the, the clients that we knew, A, that we, we trusted, um, which is always going to be the first and foremost, that basically give you truthful and factual information. But then B, because we're trying to find the best amount or the best property in the highest volumes, we typically want to know which agents have the most amount of stock or get, are getting the most amount of listings because as part of the listing component for us is, is usually um, it's, it's a needle in a haystack scenario where someone's getting 100 listings, you may get two or three out of those 100 listings that come your way which actually stack up. Um, but if you're getting an agent who you do know and trust and all those things are still the same but they're only getting 20 listings, let's say, a, a year, then you're getting a much smaller portion of the total amount of choice. So we want to work with people A, we trust, B, uh, are very good at what they do, um, but C, are also the ones who get the lion's share of property because that allows us to to get a better opportunity to look at a bigger and wider range of property types. It's a key part from our side. Is it's one of the first questions we ask our clients when we're sitting down is, is, is you know, why are we here? And, and for us, it's really understand, well, what is the motivation behind wanting to invest in property in general? And, and sometimes that doesn't align to what we're aligned to. And there is definitely times when we sit down with clients and we realise very early in the piece that we're probably not going to be the right buyer's agent or the right strategist for those clients because they're probably wanting things that, A, we don't feel like we can deliver and B, aren't really in line with our values. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Paul Glossop's journey and how he got started in property. I saw it and I was exposed to a fair bit of what went through a property cycle there and saw a lot of different exposure to different people making money and it just made me think differently about property in general. How he grew his portfolio 
we both mustered together about $18,000 and bought our first property for about $375,000, which was partly a deposit. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, a different kind of bank built and supported by industry super funds. You could be getting a better deal on your home loan by getting in touch with MeBank. They offer competitive rates and two loan types, one with a range of features including the ability to fix your rate and have multiple offset accounts and another that's nice and simple with no ongoing fees. Both loans provide the flexibility of interest only or principal and interest. So whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a home loan that's right for you. Stop wondering and start saving by giving MeBank a call on 131563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to the show. Hey podcast listeners, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, then register your interest at propertyinvestory.com. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and I only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, visit propertyinveststory.com. Now back to the show. It was after finding himself about to board a plane back in Sydney with under $1,000 in his pocket that Glossop decided to get serious about building a career from property. When I did come back from, from my last round of travel over to the UK and teaching, I came back literally at the time I, I was flat broke um, when I got onto a Qantas, uh, Qantas 747 at the time from Heathrow down to Sydney. Um, and at that stage, I was lining up literally, I remember it vividly, where I was lining up to come home for good. And uh, I had a Canadian girlfriend at the time who was going to come back with me and she had already been, she'd left for Canada. She was going to fly over from Canada in a few weeks after that. But uh, during my time waiting in that line, there was, uh, I literally had 400 Australian dollars or equivalent of 400 Australian dollars, which was about 250 quid in my pocket at the time. And that was what I was going home with. So I knew I had some pretty serious saving and, and life to do. I was going back home to live with my mum and try to figure out what I was going to do at a mid-20s age and figure out how I was going to actually start a career and all the rest of things, which I wasn't actually too nervous on because I always treat those things as an opportunity. But I remember uh, that the book was, uh, sorry, the flight was fully booked, which meant that um, they had their stewardesses go up and down, the people lining up for, for their check-in to say, well, we've got four spaces here that are overbooked and there'll be a, a free ticket for tomorrow plus a night in the Hilton and a $1,000 $1, redeemable traveler's check that'll come with anyone who's prepared to get on tomorrow's flight. And I thought to myself, well, I've got nowhere to go, I've got no money, and I've never stayed at the Hilton. So all those three things made sense to me. So I ended up staying an extra night at the Hilton um, and I got on the plane the next day and I came in and I went straight from uh, Sydney Airport, International Airport, straight to the Qantas uh, main office in, in the city of Sydney to go and redeem $1,000 and I had the equivalent of 1400 bucks or so in my pocket at the time from memory and that was sort of where I started. I thought, well, from that point, it was uh, mentally thinking, I've got to get serious here. Now it's time to actually go and think about what I'm going to do from a career and also how am I going to turn a career into making money long term. And- he explains that it was due to the exposure to the international property market that Glossop realized the potential property investing had to provide him with a fulfilling and comfortable lifestyle. 
I wasn't thinking property as a as a full-time career at the time, but I was thinking property was something that I had an interest in, and I knew there was, after experiencing what went through England at the time, and I was living in London, I saw, and I was exposed to a fair bit of what, what went through a property cycle there, and saw a lot of different exposure to different people making money, and it just made me think differently about property in general. So literally from around about mid-2000s onwards, I, my mindset was, how do I make money through property, in addition to starting a career? So... I, uh, I spent a couple of months uh, pursuing different roles and, and eventually uh, looked into different corporate roles to use my, my degree in different ways other than teaching because I, I truthfully wasn't a great teacher and probably wasn't the best or, or most enjoyable uh, profession. It's, it's, anyone who's out there who's a teacher will know that it's probably by far and above the hardest money you'll ever earn and exhausting both mentally and physically for anyone out there. So I commend all teachers because I know firsthand that it's a very, very tough job. Um, but unfortunately, it's not very financially rewarding. And mentally, I thought, well, I can't go into a career which I'm not fully committed to, nor do I think it's going to give me the financial return I want. So that led me to looking at different pathways. And I um, very quickly got into a corporate career in pharmaceuticals, which was using a bit more of my science background and education in, in pharmaceutical sectors. So I, I spent uh, from there, um, I, I started a career in pharmaceuticals in, in a whole bunch of different formats, but it was also within about six months of starting my, my career in pharmaceuticals, which led me to to buying and investing in our first property, which was a, intentionally a property which needed a full renovation in the suburb of Cronulla in Sydney at the time, um, which we knew based on our understanding of the market was a ground floor, simple two-bedroom already been opened up, um, was very, very dated, um, but was very well located and uh, very good yield at the time, which was yielding about five and a half, six percent in Sydney, which these days is about half that. Um, and intentionally was going to take advantage to a small portion, take advantage of uh, stamp duty exemption on that, which was being offered at the time. So, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, we both mustered together about eighteen thousand dollars and bought our first property for about three hundred seventy-five odd thousand dollars, which was partly. A deposit. The other part was, um, yeah, it was it was uh, very much down the pathway of five percent deposits back then with stamp duty exemption. So it was a pretty cheap barrier to entry. Thinking back to the specifics of the property, Glossop details the renovation changes he and his wife made to that first property and what that process taught him about investing. It was uh, late two thousand, I believe it was two thousand nine, two thousand ten at the time. Um, so, so we were sort of talking about a decade ago um, that that first property came into the portfolio. So that was um, intentionally we were having it as a bit of a stepping stone and we really wanted to focus on getting the property bought as well as getting renovated. So we, we did our own renovation on the property, spent about six weeks fully gutting it and fully renovating the property. Um, everything we can do to a two-bedroom unit, um, which was you know from kitchens to bathrooms to moving an internal laundry to a separate section so it was in its own separate area which was existing in a bathroom but then ended up putting it from a bathroom to where a separate toilet was so a bit of drilling through slabs and a few additional aspects which I had actually some skills in understanding how to do it um, which ended up getting us a, a reval after renovation or after costs of about 35 odd thousand above what we put into it as well as pay for it so that was um, that was our our, our probably release of equity to allow us to go off and, and look at building a portfolio beyond that. And it was probably the first cab off the rank of how to buy accurately, how to invest correctly, how to recycle money properly and then pull it out in a pretty short period of time while still keeping your cash flows in check. But how did Gloss's portfolio continue to grow after that first sale? 
out of my entire portfolio, it's the only property I've actually sold. And at the time, the only reason we did sell it was um, we didn't sell it at that time. We actually sold it a long time after, uh, which which had an epic amount of, of profit in it. But it also meant that it was tax free profit and allowed us to upgrade our home at the time. So it was probably a, a regretful sale. Um, Look, if if it's still in our portfolio today, I probably I ended up actually selling it myself privately. So we we saved a fair bit of money on it from a sales perspective. Um, it was in a very very hot market when I did sell, which is pretty close to the top of the market. Um, but yeah, the, the the we probably doubled our money on on what we ended up taking out of it off the table, which was purely tax free at the time because it was a principal place of residence. And the intention was is that we wanted to make sure that that money was reappropriated in a different way rather than recycle equity because we kind of got to the top of our borrowing capacity and the solution was either we, we didn't upgrade and we were starting a small family or a young family at the time and so the choice was to say, well, let's um, let's make this move now whilst the market's still red hot and whilst we can take this money out tax-free because the alternative was to go and rent and eventually we probably would have run out of the tax-free threshold of what we would have achieved out of that property so it might have been a a long-term uh, loss if we ended up having to pay capital gains tax on the profits. On another note, Glossop delves into the most mentally and physically draining property development experience he's had and the lessons he's learnt along the way. I've literally personally bought dozens of properties in, in portfolio, so, so it's, it's happened a lot and, and it consistently happens. I'm still an active investor. I'm doing a large development at the moment, which is, is not necessarily a low point, but it's definitely a time-consuming point and quite a stressful point. But um, if I look at throughout the journey, probably a moment in time where I probably would have said, look, there's definitely something I would have done differently was um, buying, I bought a property in the Hunter Valley uh, four or five years ago um, when that market uh, was probably halfway through its growth cycle and we've made money out of the investment. But um, I took on a very, very big renovation project when I was living in Sydney at the time and it was a four-hour driveway. And I took it on personally rather than implementing and, and getting the locals to do all the work for me. Uh, and at that time, you basically couldn't get a, a property to rent or be a property to buy in, in the market that I bought in. But also on top of that, because of the mining uh, boom that was happening at the time, skilled labour um, in anyone in the trades was either A, ridiculously expensive and B, not available. So what I ended up having to do was take on a four-hour commute back and forth on a weekend basis and trying to get in a few other a few other different uh, subcontractors in dragging them up from places like the central coast of New South Wales and in from Newcastle, et cetera. But um, when you're not there all day, every day, and you're undertaking a, a full, full-scale full renovation or a four-bedroom house and you're trying to do it in a record period of time, it does drag out and, and drain your, your physical and mental capability. So there's probably two months' worth of, of non-stop work, and that was in between holding down a quite a stressful full-time job in the meantime. Um, so I spent literally... Monday to Friday working corporate at big hours and then literally leaving from North Ride up the coast, dealing with traffic and staying there, sleeping on the floor uh, for a full weekend and doing that every weekend for the best part of a dozen weekends to get an outcome. And I was dragging in, yeah, dragging a lot of favours from a lot of mates to come up and selling them the, uh, the line of, you know, come out, we'll do a winery tour, et cetera, which never <laughs> happened because we had no time to do. I was going to say. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so it was, um, yeah, that's probably a moment where I probably realised that you've got to be realistic in what you can do and what you can't do and sometimes paying locals to get jobs done that you just don't have the capacity to do and that, that drew me out mentally and physically. Um, but financially, it was still an okay return. 
Looking at the positive results that still occurred, Glossop shares that it's much of these experiences and experiences of his buying agents that allowed him to help others in their own property journey. It turned out okay, and that's probably the worst of the worst for me. So, I mean, the beauty about, I guess, when I look at the war stories of what I've got, look, I've got a lot of things I do differently, and, and I share a lot of that with our clients, and we take a lot of that into when we're setting strategies, and as well as when we're actually looking at, at securing assets, is that we've got a lot of experience, not just myself, but with our team of buyers agents. They're all active investors, and they're all, all got their own background stories and experience, and I've got two of my buyers agents have been investors for over 20 years each, so... They're um, very, very well versed on all of the pitfalls, all the do's and don'ts, and and it's not just uh, my stories because it's it's those experiences which lead you to make better better decisions and as well as set better strategies and keep uh, everything that we do in check as far as the reality of what every every bit of work or any property might entail. Any on a positive note, Glossop shares the preference of moments where everything clicked for him and the one smart developing example that set the rest of his property dreams into motion. It kind of comes down to different points in time which have allowed us to do different things at different points in time as well. And You know, I've bought property out in the western suburbs of Sydney um, numerous times over back in the 2010 to 2013 timeframes and there was different aspects there where there was a property I still own today in Campbelltown as an example, Campbelltown, which is southern western suburbs of, of New South Wales, of Sydney rather, and that's you know, right in the, these days, right in the thick of where all the population growth, infrastructure, etc. is heading. Um, at the time, it was a dirt cheap property, probably I think from memory is about $252,000 purchase price, which would be probably more like 600000 for the equivalent property. But that particular property at that time, I decided it was on a corner block and I had ample space on the side where there was an opportunity to buy it well, which we did, um, and I bought it most certainly at, at a very, very sharp price. But on top of that, it also allowed me, based on the price point that we got it at and also the growth that came in from about a six-month period, to drag out equity from that particular purchase to then reinvest it into a granny flat for a side property on that particular purchase, which ended up more or less being a separate property because of the the orientation of the corner block. So taking it out in a market, which at the time I built a granny flat for about $85,000, which is a hell of a lot more expensive in today's money. But within less than a year of buying that property, I'd refinance, I'd drag that equity, I'd built a granny flat and I had it probably tenanted for somewhere in the vicinity of about 11% yield. Um, And and from my side of things, that was all based on a starting point of of a 5% deposit back in the day. Um, and that allowed me to sort of look at it and say, well, this property is probably six to eight grand a year cash flow positive. I started with about $20,000 and it's turned into a property which is worth in excess at that time of about $400,000. And I had a six to $8,000 a year pay pack coming to me based on just being quite clever and basically out of that whole development I just shuffled paper. Um, I did very little of that one myself um, as far as physically. I got people to come and construct fixed-price building contracts. I got renovations done by licensed trades and made sure that was done correctly, but also using my time more effectively. And I just continued to do my job that I was doing at the time and understanding of certain properties and understanding local environmental plans and zonings to be able to maximise what could happen. That was very early in the piece for me, but that led to more things and releasing more equity and having a much better serviceability calculation to allow the banks to look at me as quite an attractive person led to. And all these things started to come into place, which allowed me to springboard to other options and potentially other sites, which were things such as duplexes, which I bought, subdivided um, and, and held rather than, than sell. But 
that led to other things like buying in other states and other property types in other markets, which still had the same hallmarks and same same drivers, which we were looking for. So, inspired by Paul Glossop's journey in his amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory, where we'll discuss his strategy. Sort of, a, I guess, a graduation ceremony of buying and holding then to maybe doing a small-scale renovation, then a you know, granny flats, then subdivision, then full-scale development. The personal habits which have contributed to his success? I, I personally think the biggest thing that, that has stayed true to myself personally over the long term is, and, and I foresee it as it hasn't changed, and I've made a lot more money in property in the last three or four years than I made in the first seven years, and, and part of that's just being in the game longer, is that I haven't necessarily changed my personal mindset on what's important in life. And even though there's been more money and more equity come into my life, it hasn't changed anything as far as I drive a very simple car, I, I live a very simple life, I don't have anything different that I aspire to. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to register your interest. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening. If you love the show and you're ready to get serious about saving on your home loan, give MeBank a call. MeBank is the bank built by industry super funds, famous for their competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find the loan that's right for you. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.